You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. How's everybody doing? It's great to be with you. I've been looking forward to uh, being with you over the last uh, month or so since Dean called and, and asked us to come. Actually, I was looking forward to the game, but I was more looking forward to getting to know you, being, having the opportunity to worship with you, uh, your, the reputation of this church. Uh, goes out beyond Tallahassee area. And this is my first time to engage and encounter you, and I, I wanted to see you firsthand. Uh, have a great friendship with Dean and, and enjoy his friendship, respect him, his leadership, and just wanted to see what God is doing here through City Church. So I've been looking forward to the time and is here and had a wonderful time this morning, the first service, and look forward to the opportunity to open up God's Word with you here at uh, the 11 o'clock. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4. Uh, there's three little parables that are sandwiched between a story of Jesus and the disciples in the Sea of Galilee and a longer parable, a parable that many of you will be familiar with, the par- parable of the sower in the, in the seed or the parable of the soils. Uh, so this is, these three parables are sandwiched in between. I, I think in a really interesting kind of way, uh, the way Mark tells this story and uses these three parables and situated where he does, he's telling the true story of the world through three small, simple parables. So uh, I'm going to read the text here, and we're going to dive in and ask the Lord to, to help us as we do so. So picking up in Mark chapter 4, verse 21, and he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there's nothing hidden that will not be revealed and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever doesn't have, even what he has will be taken from him. The kingdom of God is like this. He said a man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps, rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle, because the harvest has come. And then he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? And what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, that when this uh, sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground, And when sown, it comes up, and it grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we think and reflect upon his word together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of being able to listen to it. We ask that even in this hour as we're listening to your word that you would speak. Father, I pray that we would be like what's been admonished in the parable, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see 
and that we pay close attention to what we hear. And we pray, Father, for your help. Help us to believe. Help us to receive in faith. Help us to see you're at work in the world to redeem a people for yourself. In your son's good name we pray, amen. As I said, these three short parables are sandwiched between a longer parable, the parable of the sower, the seed, and then the, uh, the episode with Jesus and his disciples. The episode with Jesus and the disciples, there's really a poignant question that the disciples asked Jesus there. Uh, you know the story, or some of you might, that Jesus is down in the bow of the boat, the big storm comes up, and the disciples ask Jesus this question, teacher, do you not care that we are about to perish? We're, we're about to die, and you're down there sleeping. Do you not care? And Jesus' response to them is this, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? As you know, the, the parable of the sower and the seed is they have three different soils, and the, uh, the seed goes out and lands in three different soils, the rocky soil, and uh, the sun comes out and, and uh, burns up the seed or the uh, the, the hard soil, and then they have the, the rockier soil, and the seed goes down, and it begins to sprout up just a little bit, and weeds grow, and thorns grow, and, and uh, chokes out the, the plant growing out of the ground. And then you have the good soil, and then the seeds go into the ground, and the, uh, the plant sprouts, and it flourishes and produces fruits of righteousness. The original hearers of Mark's gospel would have been the same people that Peter wrote his letters to, Peter, 1 Peter 1 and 2. Uh, the, the Christians who were scattered among uh, Asia Minor under the persecution and suffering of a, an evil emperor, they would have been questioning, is this story that we believed? Is this thing that we signed up for? Is it true? We, when we signed up for this, we, we were told that a king is coming. He's going to establish a kingdom, and transformation is going to come, and there's hope in him, and time goes on, and there's no apparent kingdom on the horizon. Is this story really true? They're being challenged to hope. They're being challenged to believe. So Peter writes to this church in 1 Peter chapter 1, to encourage them, though you've not seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. And you're filled with inexpressible, uh, glorious joy. For you're receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So he writes to a group of Christians who are facing the, the question, can we believe the gospel that we've received? Can we continue to hope in the midst of the difficulties that we're facing and Peter writes to exhort them. And it's the same group that he writes his second letter to. And he says something remarkable in the first chapter of his second letter. He says this, you have the scriptures. It's a more sure and perfect word. Even then when the disciples were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, what you have is more sure. So he's trying to exhort them and to encourage them to believe what you have. And these three parables are told in the order that they're in to encourage you and I to believe what we have, to receive the hope of the gospel in full and full uh, hope and faith. But the reality is our faith does get challenged. All sorts of things challenge my faith and my hope. When my plans don't work out quite the way I want them to work out, 
my hope gets challenged. When life seems out of control and chaotic, my hope is challenged. Probably the biggest thing that challenges my hope is when things don't change as fast as I want them to change. And I don't mean necessarily mean things outside of me. I think I'm thinking about the transformation inside of me. The gospel says this, that God came to us to make us new. And when I don't see that newness happening in my life, it raises questions for me. I don't know about you. Or when I face the persistent opposition and challenges, and it seems like there's no way over it, around it, under it, through it, my hope is challenged. I think sometimes we believe if we can just understand why it is that we may be facing the challenges, we might be able to muster up a little bit more hope. Or if we could actually see what's going on around us or see why things are so difficult, we might be able to muster up a little bit more hope. The scriptures say that's not the direction of hope. The direction of hope is through our ears. The direction of hope is to hear the word from God, to believe his word, to receive it, and to experience the power of his word at work in our lives. And this is what the parables are telling us, just like the previous parable with the sower and the soil. What the scriptures tell us is that we need something like what the Hebrew writer wrote in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. We need a faith that has its assurance on the things hoped for and a conviction of things not yet seen. And then these three little parables that we see here in Mark 4, we learn four things about the gospel to provide us faith of the assurance of things hoped for. We learned about the true story of the world through these three simple stories, what God is really doing in the world. And the first thing we see here is this, that God revealed light so that the light would be seen. That God reveals light in order for the light to be seen. Look with me in chapter 4, verse 21. He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For nothing is hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing is concealed that will not be brought to light. He raises the question, would you ever bring light out in to the darkness and then cover it up again? And the answer is no. What's interesting about what Mark does here is that he wants us to see who is the light. When uh, Matthew and Luke tell this story, the, the lamp is the object of the verb. The lamp is being lit and when they're telling the, these parables. But when Mark tells the story, the lamp is the subject. Actually, in your English translations, you may not see this as clearly as it, uh, as it should be more, more, uh, more readily seen. But the question really should be written this way. Does the lamp come in order to be hidden? Not is the lamp brought, like brought in from, by someone else, But actually, it should be translated, does the lamp come? I think Mark is reflecting on things like this, things that we find in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel, verse 22 and 29, when lamp is used as a metaphor for God himself. Or in 2 Kings, chapter 8, verse 19, or Psalms 132, verse 17, when the lamp is a metaphor for the Davidic messianic king who is to come. And Mark is saying that God has come. Light has come into the world. 
We see this most clearly in John's gospel when John in his gospel tells us that Jesus himself is the light of the world. He's the light that comes to men, that he is the one who comes to enlighten the eyes of all people, that the light has come. And he comes to do just that. He comes to reveal, in John chapter 1, verse 18, he comes to reveal the Father to us. He comes to reveal or enlighten our eyes about our own spiritual condition. And then the light also comes to, to conquer the darkness, to push back the darkness. So John, in John chapter 3, he summarizes well the ministry of the light when he says this. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever doesn't believe is condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict, John says. Light has come into the world, but the people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes to the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. You see, Jesus was hidden. He was hidden for 3,000 years and he is revealed. He's revealed in the glorious work of the incarnation when God the Son comes in the form of a human baby. He's revealed in his perfect life that he lives for our benefit for 30 plus years. He's revealed in his miraculous works when he heals the blind and heals the lame. He's revealed in his incredible authoritative teaching. He's revealed when he looks at Pilate, and he says, you don't take my life from me. I lay my life down. He's revealed when he says it is finished. He's revealed when he was resurrected three days later. He's revealed on the road to Emmaus with his disciples when he walks through the Old Testament with them and says, these, these words point to me, and their hearts burned. He's revealed when he takes the disciples to the mountain and they watch him ascend into the heavens. He's revealed when he sends the Spirit to come down to dwell with his people. And he's revealed by his people when they live out the gospel where they are by the power of the Spirit and they speak the words of the gospel to others. He has been revealed. He is being revealed. And he one day will be revealed in his full glory when he returns for his church. He has been concealed. And there's a sense in which he is still somewhat concealed. We see through a glass darkly. But the scriptures tell us that he was not hidden in order to remain hidden. But he came as the light. Disney has this really interesting um, little quality about it called the hidden Mickeys. All throughout the, the park of, of Disney, you, you know this probably better than I do, there's these hidden Mickeys all over the place. There's not an exhaustive list of how many hidden Mickeys there are. There's a reported about a thousand of them have been found. You know, the hidden Mickeys were, are not hidden in order to remain hidden. They're hidden to be found. When an artist does a remarkable 
piece of art and there's something in the foreground that your eyes catch first, but there's something else in the picture that you're supposed to see. That which the artist puts in the picture that you're supposed to see is not hidden to be hidden. It's hidden to be seen. When the, ta- when the, when the tapestry weaver weaves the tapestry and, and they have the most obvious pattern and then there's the sub-pattern that sits just behind that sometimes is even more glorious than the obvious pattern. The sub-pattern was not hidden to remain hidden, but it's hidden to be revealed. Jesus wasn't hidden to remain hidden. He was hidden to be revealed. And when he is revealed, he enlightens our eyes to see our need for him. When he is revealed, he remakes himself known and his father's known known in the work that he was sent to do. And when he is revealed, he pushes back the darkness. The first thing we learn about the kingdom is this, is that the light is not going to be hidden. The second thing we learn about the kingdom is use what you have and more will be given. Look with me in verse 24. He said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. The admonition here, the exhortation, is to pay attention to what you hear. And even in this moment, we can apply the admonition. We can pay attention to what we're hearing. And then we're told that that which we hear, the measure in which we hear it, it will be multiplied. This idea here, by measure that you use it, it'll be measured to you, is used in a couple of different places in the Gospels, but it's not always used with this referent. Sometimes it's used with respect to judgment. Be careful that you do not judge, because the the means by which you judge or the ways in which you judge, it will be judged upon you. It's the same sort of principle, but it's it's more of an invitation now. And the invitation is this. Receive and hear the word in faith. And as you receive and hear the word in faith, the power of the gospel in your life will be multiplied. It's something like this. If your hearing is faith-filled of the word, you will receive more from the word. Receiving what we hear in faith increases our understanding. This is a grace upon grace principle. God will measure it out and he will add it to you. To say it another way, you'll get at it, get out of it what faith you put into it. Here's the secret of the kingdom. The secret of the kingdom is this. The extent to which one allows the kingdom to break in upon their lives will determine the measure in which they will understand the kingdom and they will experience the glorious blessings of the kingdom. I think about Luke chapter 11 where the friend had another friend come to his house in the middle of the night. And the friend was hungry and he had no bread to feed him. So he leaves his house and goes next door. And in the middle of the night, he knocks on the door and continues to knock until his neighbor comes to the door and he asks for bread. And the interpretation of the parable is this. If a neighbor will wake up in the middle of the night and give a friend a loaf of bread, how much more will your heavenly father give you 
if you ask him. This is the principle of the kingdom. But to those who are hurried in their search, those who knock tentatively without faith, those who, who, who once find the joyous invitation to enter the kingdom to be a fading glory and no longer of interest and respond in disbelief, they won't find. This is, this is true of our activities and our involvement in our Christian life and in our local church. Some of you are tempted to complain, I just don't feel connected. I don't feel like I have the right fellowship. I, I, I don't know that I belong there. Well, maybe it is that we're not investing. Maybe we're not developing friendships. Maybe we're not present. Maybe we've not come in faith to be received in faith by other Christians. Sometimes we're tempted to complain that we're just not experiencing the Christian growth and transformation. Maybe it's because we're not pursuing growth, giving ourselves to studying the scriptures and being in fellowship with other believers and confessing our sins and pursuing holiness. Because the kingdom principle is this, if you ask, He'll give it to you. Some of you may be tempted to complain that you just don't seem to have the joy that you once had in your faith, in your Christian walk. Well, my question is, are, are you giving? Are you serving? Are you sacrificing? This is where Christian joy comes from. In faith, are you giving your lives for something bigger than yourself? If so, you'll find joy. And the kingdom principle is this. If you ask, he'll to give it to you. If you apply yourself in faith, if you receive the scriptures in faith, more will be given. This is what Jesus says when he stands in the, uh, up to give the sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. And people are sitting around him. This is how he begins with this very kingdom principle in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Grace upon grace. Blessed are the meek, for they're going to inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Their cup will run over, he says. They will be filled. This is the kingdom principle. If you ask, you will receive. So go after the truth. Take your faith seriously. Those who are really taking your faith seriously, you're getting the, the most out of it. But remember this. Remember that the object through your faith is the light that came into the world to overcome the darkness. Remember this. The object of your faith is the one who came and opened up your eyes so that you could see your need for him. The object of your faith is the one who came to make the Father known to you. The object of your faith is the founder and the finisher of your faith. The third principle of the kingdom is found in chapter 4, verse 26 and 20 through 29. It's a little lesson about the way of the kingdom. Verse 26, the kingdom of God is like this. He said... A man scatters seed on the ground, and he sleeps. 
and he raises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade and then the head, and then the full grain of the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. Do you believe that God is at work in the world? I think one of the great triumphs of modernity, one of the great challenges of our own cultural context, consumed by consumerism, everything we want is at our fingertips. One of the great challenges for us is to believe that God is at work in the world that he's present with us today when we're confessing the name of his son? Do we believe that he's at work in the world? Are we just buying our time, grinning and bearing it, holding on to the rope as long as we can to try to get to the other side? This is his world that he had a great plan for, and he's not given up. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 says this, God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This is the truest reality about the whole universe, that God is at work in the world through his son to accomplish his mission. Or Philippians 1, 6 says this, the one who began a good work in you and in me will see it to completion. In fact, what Paul says is that you can be certain of that. You ought to make a list this afternoon of all the things you can be certain about. The list is going to be really short. But the scriptures say you can be certain of that. That God is at work in the world. And this parable tells us he's at work. That the the seed is thrown out indiscriminately. It's thrown out all over the place. The farmer goes to bed and he wakes up and he sees Things have happened. Things are sprouting up. I love how the story is told. He sleeps and he rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. It's a mystery. And this is exactly the way the kingdom expands. Through this mystery, God doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. And we share his word, we throw the seed, we encourage people in the name of Christ, and he is at work by the power of his spirit to accomplish his mission and his plan. What an incredible privilege that you and I get to be a part of that. God's God's mission is not like, or God's kingdom is not like the towering mountains over the western plains that you see them and you're gloriously magnified by the expanse of the mountains. I wish it was more like that, but it's more like an iceberg where you see just a bit of the iceberg out of the tip of the water and there's an incredible amount, mass of iceberg underneath the water that we cannot see. But do we have eyes to see and ears to believe and faith and hope that God is at work in the world when we can only see the tip of the iceberg. He's at work. He's at work using City Church in Tallahassee and City Church around the world. Can you see it? Do you believe it? Is your hope and your faith 
built on it. And it's going to happen. Verse 29, and as soon as the crop is ready, he sends the sickle because the harvest has come. The challenge is for my faith and perhaps for your faith sometimes is, is expressed in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. The world bemoaned, where is this coming he promised? The delay sometimes leads to the challenge, but we can believe that the delay is not stalling the mission, that God is sovereign over human history. God is sovereign over what he's doing in the world. The delay is not stalling, not thwarting, not confounding, not confusing the mission. This is just according to his time. And the fourth principle that we see here about the kingdom is this. God's work accomplishes God's mission. God's work accomplishes God's mission. Look with me in chapter 4, verse 30. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when, this, when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and it grows taller than all the garden plants and it produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. When I read this parable, my mind immediately goes to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. And after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude not one could count from every nation, tribe, people, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing with white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the picture of what this parable is pointing to. The smallest of seeds, the most... This, the, the, it seems it's not remarkable in any way. It would not get your attention. You're not going to celebrate it. But when it goes in the ground and it does its work, it produces a bush that provides refuge and salvation and rest for God's people. This is what that's, this parable is pointing to. There will not be a sign on the door of the kingdom. There's no room in the inn. The kingdom will be big enough for all of those who confess faith in Christ and believe. The branches will be big enough for all of us to find refuge and rest. This is the true story of the world. The true story of the world is that there was a light that was concealed and he came into the world. The true story of the world is that God is at work in the lives of his people. And we're in relationship with him by his spirit. And that relationship for our, on our part is expressed in faith. And he continues to multiply his grace in our lives. The true story of the world is he chose to use us to advance the cause of his mission and we're like the farmer. We throw the seeds out. We don't even understand how seed works when it hits the ground. 
But in obedience, we throw the seed out and we go to bed and we wake up and we see God was at work. And the true story of the world is that we believe there is a kingdom that's being built, being established. And it's going to come to its fruition and its consummation. And all that God is doing in the world will be complete. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear. And may this be the filter through which we see all the things that are around us. And may this be the thing that inspires our faith and our hope. Maybe there's somebody that walked in the back doors earlier. And you didn't come with the name of Jesus on your lips. You never confessed him as Lord. I got news for you today. that This seed that goes into the ground, it can produce salvation in your life. That this light that came into the world can help you see your need for him And he has come to give his life for you so that you may have life in him. And today, the seed of the kingdom can go into your life and start producing fruit. For those who came into the back doors with Jesus on your lips, I have an encouragement for you today. Throw the seed. Throw it everywhere you go and in every direction you go. Throw it in the direction of those you know that need to hear the gospel and throw it in the direction of those who, can, who, who confess the name of Christ. Because this seed is at work to bring people from death to life and this seed is at work to give people grace upon grace. What an incredible privilege that we have to be a part of what God is doing in the world. This is the true story of the world. These three simple parables... Pull back the curtain of human history and tell us exactly what God is doing. We're a people with hope. We're not on a fool's errand. This will happen. This will come to be. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your word. And I pray that even as it's been read and we've discussed it and we have heard it, Father, we, I pray that it's doing its work in the lives of your people, even in this moment. And we can't wait to the day that we see the fullness of your kingdom work established and completed. And we gather with your people proclaiming your name and the salvation that you gave us through your son. And it's in his good name we pray. Amen.